Welcome to Comics Corner, everybody. Uh, I am John, your less than illustrious host. Um, we have with us today our very favorite guest star, Andrea. Welcome, Andrea. Claps and snaps. Thank you. Thank you. Unofficial, unofficial person on the podcast now. I feel <laughs> like I've been on so many episodes, but. I know. It's exciting. Yeah. I love being here. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for coming. And now we have our second favorite guest here on the Comics Corner. Our third favorite guest here on the Comics Corner, Matthew Klein. Matthew, snaps and claps to you. Well, I thank you so much. It is always my pleasure to be back on your Comics Corner, John. Uh, you're just saying that because it's true. Uh, I always wonder, though, what is the cross street? So it's John Street and what street is the corner that we're on with Comics Corner? Uh, let's call it, uh, Diana Ave and Wanda Lane. So we're on the corner of John Street, Wanda Ave and Diana Lane. Okay. I, yeah, I think that's good. My two, my two favorite comics characters of all time. So that's, I think that's I the think West that's Village, good. right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Um, cause that's the really expensive part of town. So we'll just not, not anymore. That's the upper West side. <laughs> Um, So welcome, everyone. Um, We are recording this in the middle of June, so I just want to take a second and say happy Pride to everybody. Um, I hope everybody is having a wonderful month and enjoying the beginnings of freedom from uh, the last year. Um, Andrea, have you gotten to go out at all and enjoy life? Yeah, I have. Um, Like, I've gone to restaurants. I went to Red Rocks already which was really crazy. If people don't know who that, what that is, it's a, it's the big, big concert venue in Denver. Um, and that was full capacity. That was really wild and no one wore their masks. So uh, yeah. How did it feel back? Um, it was, it was crazy. So I went to go see John Williams, like the Colorado symphony did John Williams. So it wasn't like a mosh pit concert per se, I mean, I was the only one moshing to, you know, like the Jurassic Park theme, but I feel like that was just a personal preference of mine. Yeah, but it was still a really good time. But yeah, it was weird having everybody there without their masks on. It felt like we were all doing something very illegal. So Very nice. And Matthew, have you gotten to enjoy life? Uh, I, I have gotten to enjoy some life. Um, yeah, I'm actually really going to enjoy life. Uh, this weekend because I'm flying down to the Virgin Islands, so that's gonna be a whole thing. I wow. gotta take a plane and then a cab and then a ferry to get where I'm going. Life uh, is so hard for you. You know, someone's gotta live it. I figured I might as well. So. Okay. Well, I have escaped and gone uh, back on a regular basis to my comic book store, which I'm very excited about, um, and. Uh, the reason that I'm so excited is, of course, I get to talk comics, which is why we're here today. So what we are covering today is we're going to do a Black Widow story. So uh, the book that we read is Black Widow, The Name of the Rose, which is by Marjorie Liu and art by Daniel Acuna. 
Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Pardon me if I didn't. Um, I speak some French. My Spanish is poor indeed, so I apologize. Um, so yeah, we're going to start with that. Um, now, before we get into the book and before we get into a little history of the Black Widow, um, Andrea, are you fam- were you familiar with the Black Widow at all beyond the Avengers movies? So not at all. So this was a really good time for me. Um, okay. Reading these, I had no idea what was happening for a lot of it. Um, as we'll get into, it was like, there's a lot of characters here that I do know, but I'm very confused why all of them are in the same room together. Um, yeah. And then there was the first issue had, at least in my version, had um, at least eight pages of exposition on her background. And that was very helpful because I was doing some very frantic Googling to make sure that I knew what was happening. But yeah, I figured it out. But eventually it was just like, this is so crazy that it, this is not at all the narrative that I've known for any of these characters. See, yeah. I'm going to disagree, though, because I think, Andrew, you're very familiar because you've got a Black Widow look going on right now with your hair. See, that's what I always hear. I've been read for a long time, and I've always heard that. But I've always hated Scarlett Johansson as an actress, so I could not I could not commiserate with that character at all. So these comics were actually really cool to read, but yeah. I've, I've heard some lore about ScarJo not being very kind to waiters. So I've just yeah. like, I've, I've always got a little reservation for ScarJo, no matter how good the performance is. Yeah, my hot take that nobody asked for is I think she has the emotional range of wet toast, but that's just me. We don't have to <laughs> expound on it further, but. Well, man, now I'm hungry because we're doing this before I'm eating dinner. So I'm just like, now I need some toast. I some need some wet like, toast. Yeah. I'm all for it. That's fine. Toast is toast. I don't care. Wet, dry, buttered, non-buttered. You know, I have no idea what Natasha Romanoff wants on her toast, but I think that's a question we should discuss personally. We should. Um, I would say go for some avocado toast this time of night. I mean. Nice and filling and and some excellent, some good fats in there for you. So, um, okay. Well, then, um, let's do a little history of the Black Widow. So uh, she first appeared in 1964 in an Iron Man story where she uh, was not really superhero at all. She was just kind of a femme fatale wearing a very, um, at the time, um, slinky dress um, to get him to, uh, to steal some weapons from him. Um, and then she later appeared in the Avengers where she again was the villain and then turned out she was brainwashed and then fell in love with Hawkeye, was with him for a while, broke up with him, and then uh, was kind of out of comics for about four or five years and then came back um, in an issue of Spider-Man, which they essentially used to um, launch a backup series in um, Amazing Adventures. We can go from there, blah, 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 blah. Um, So there's lots of stuff with the Black Widow. Um, I do, I would, I want to open this with two things. First of all, spoiler alert in full effect, because there's no way to talk about this story without spoilers. Um, The second is, this is not necessarily a book that I would normally recommend for someone who wants to get into the character, but I think it's a good story. Um, So, yes, you will be confused um, if you just jump into this, 
there's ways to catch up on the confusion. Google is your friend, Bing is your friend, but um, so just be aware that it's not necessarily something that I would did you, did normally you just recommend. Give a plug to Bing. <laughs> I, well, you know, I mean, it's a search <laughs> engine. I, it's not. I mean, yeah, Google has taken over the world, but I mean, let's you know, competition. You and, you and Peter Parker are the only two people I've ever heard of use Bing. This is amazing. Um, Bing is fascinating if you just put in two random words and hit the video search, you find some very strange things. Um, I'm That's gonna for say, the after hours version of the I'm going to say a solid me. 65% of them are enjoyable without being too weird. You know, that's the other 35% beware. It's enjoyable yeah. without being too weird. I think you just summed up our review. There you go. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's, let's, let's do a deep dive into the story. So the story essentially opens up with uh, Black Widow meeting one of her old spy friends. And I love the fact that the way they say hello to each other is to essentially try to beat each other up which I find fascinating. Um, I guess that's how you say hello and spy. I mean, in, in the Marvel universe, apparently, yes. That's, yeah. That's... Um, I do want to say also, I think the Black Widow is an incredibly hard character to write because she's constantly put in these superhero situations when that's not really where she works best. And one of the reasons that I like this, um, this story is it walks a very fine line between spy and superhero, leaning closer to the spy portion of it, which is actually something that I find really, really interesting. Um, Andrea, are you more spy or are you more superhero or do you care? In my preferences or what I thought about this comic? Uh, let's start with your preferences Both. first. Um, yeah, personal preference. Um, oh gosh, that's such a hard question. Because I actually do really like both genres. Um, I think the superhero story is really interesting always. And I think that it's always really cool the way, especially the newer ways that we're seeing um, writers kind of bend the narrative um, and show how superheroes are in kind of more of a modern world and that kind of stuff um, and how they can reflect people better and things like that. Um, and that, you know, being super doesn't mean that you're necessarily always a good person. Um, but I also think there's a lot of really cool stuff about, um, the spy narrative too. Like, I think it's always really, it obviously came about during a time when, uh, there was a lot of fear around spies and that's why we have a lot of these characters that are, um, supposed to be indicative of, of something we're fearful of and that, you know, if Superman can beat them, then any, like we can do it too. Um, kids on the street can play, you know, Superman versus spy and we can, it'll, America can do it, you know? So, but I think it's interesting now that Black Widow is getting like this makeover where she's just really misunderstood, you know, she was a Russian spy, but now she's also, you know, this person that has feelings and emotions and she, like, she's getting this whole makeover, this like PR makeover. I dig the way they're going and I really like the way co this comic did it. I definitely think that it leaned more towards her spy background and uh, putting her into the historical background of the time that they were trying to put that character in originally around World War II and the Cold War and things like that. Um, and so I thought that that was a very, a very cool meshing of the two ways that they're trying to portray her. So. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and Matthew, I think I know your answer to this, but how about you? Same question. Oh, I'm I'm all more spy than superhero. Okay. Um, and it's, but I mean, first and foremost, story. But if I, if you put a gun to my head, it's probably going to be spy before superhero. Um, I think it's, it's very interesting too, with this story too. Certainly they do make it a more espionage and then they're just like, but we still need to have these superhero characters show up because for this issue, if we promote that there's a guest star, then maybe we can get some more sales there. Some of this definitely feels a little bit of a, uh, you know, this was, a launch of a series that didn't last very long. You know, this, this no, series it did not last very long at this all. This series lasted eight issues and this came out of, uh, you know, wanting to build popularity for the character from the Avengers movie, if I remember correctly. No, well, no, the Avengers movie. It was, um, ah, what, what was it that was coming out of Iron Man? It was out of Iron Man. It it's was out Iron of Iron Man, Man 2. 2. Iron Man 2. That's where they were trying to launch. Which I still movie. haven't seen. But that's another story. You're not missing much. Um, <laughs> you're, you're really not missing much. Um, but yeah, you're right that this was out of Iron Man 2. So this was this was trying to capitalize off of mainstream success, which is, I think, part of why you see certain characters in here. You were still doing X-Men movies, so Wolverine makes an appearance. Tony makes a big appearance in here. Um, they recently had the... You know, the Daredevil movie with Affleck was a few years old at this point, but still in the zeitgeist. So you have a lot of you have a lot of guest stars for trying to, like, goose this up a little bit, it felt like, um, which is a very mainstream Marvel thing to do with her. Um, yeah. And it was also a reinvention of the character because the character from the movies actually came from the Marvel Ultimates line. Yes. Um that Black Widow there actually turned out to always have been a Russian spy and never to have have been a double agent looking like she was working for the American government. And of course, they couldn't actually put that into the movie because then you'd be rooting for a bad guy and they don't want that to happen. So here we are. Um, it's a tr it's a trick with a character like this because as you've already described, she's around in 1964 is when she starts. She's double dealing. She's guest starring in these superhero books. She becomes a mainstay of the Daredevil book. She's always usually just the sidekick in most of her stories, but because of that, she's also been a character that's been utilized for other plots. So okay, we need Natasha to be a bad guy for this story. Okay, we need her to be a good guy now. Okay, now we need to have had her in World War II, so we need to explain why she's been around for 80 years at this point. We don't have a fix for that yet. So it's tricky because they're trying to take a character with a very, very complicated, convoluted origin story in history and try and condense it and streamline it with this series into something that is more um, of the now and that can appeal to those Marvel film fans as well. Well, I think at this point, every comic book character has a convoluted and complicated backstory. Um, and it's time to just embrace the convolutions and the uh, contradictions and just, or just ignore it. them or just ignore I, everything that came before. I'm happy to ignore them. And that's mostly what we try to do here on comics corner is to find stories that are easy jumping in points. Um, that's what we try to do anyway. It doesn't always work. Um, here's where I think the weakness of this story is. Um, 
and Matthew's head is about to explode, Andrea. But I think the problem with writing Black Widow is that almost every story that I have read where there is a new series launch or jumping on point, it continually keeps going back to something in the Black Widow's past is coming to haunt her again. And it's like, okay, I get that. I understand mining a character's past for the present and for the story. But I think at some point, literally every, Andrea, we were talking about this, literally every story that we were like, oh, we could recommend this. Oh, I could recommend this. Oh, this is what we want to do. It was all the thing. It was it was the same story over and over again. Um, in addition to that, it also is um, a mixture of the Justice League story, Tower of Babel. We'll get to that and we'll put a pin in that and come back and visit that. Okay. But um, Andrea, you were saying that there was a lot of stuff here that was difficult for you to jump into. You're not alone in that because there's a lot of stuff here that's difficult for me. And I've been reading comic books for 45 years at this point. That's how old I am, everyone. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in here where I'm like, I don't get this. I'm just going to ignore it and go with it and assume that everything in the story is going to tell is going to be told. But here's the question. Did that work? And Andrea, you're the newest to comics. So did that work for you? Did kind of going, all right, let's explore this past that we now know nothing about, but we're sort of expected to know something about, but here's a new twist to it. Did it work? Yeah. So I think in the grand scheme of spy, um, the spy uh, genre going back, I think that 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 theme of doing kind of like the leaning on your laurels of we can always just find something in their past and throw that as the main whatever it is of the story. You know, I think Bond does that a lot. I know that there's a lot of most of the spy movies I've seen recently. It's always just like you don't know what happened in their past. And so we're just going to like pull something forward and make that the whole entire plot of this movie. Um, they've gone, they've gone straight now, you know, John Wick did that. They've gone straight now, but it's all come back and they have to, you know, get back into their, their way of life that they used to, they used to hate whatever it is. You know, it's, I think it's a very prevalent thing. Um, it is kind of tiring. I can totally, it's a, it's a theme that's very tiring to have to deal with over and over. I would ag especially agree um, that I've heard from a lot of people um, Black Widow doesn't get any sort of um, the writing recognition that she deserves. Like she doesn't ever get the kind of people that are going to write her stories that are going to be really um, palpable rather than things that are just exactly kind of the same with every spy story you've ever heard. Um, but I did think that this was a very captivating um, series. I thought this was a really interesting take on it. Her uh, her old spy friend, who obviously, I, I'm not sure, but it felt to me like we weren't supposed to know who that was this whole time. Um, he was a really cool character, and I felt like they were able to characterize him really well, but still not make that the entire point of one of the issues when he was the main guy in it. Um, and also it did fall short in some ways at some points. There were times where uh, like they have this whole thing where they're talking about her baby that died. It's like, I was like, okay, but when are we going to move past it? Cause it feels like she as a character has moved on. She keeps saying she's moved on. So why is that the main crux of what we're moving 
forward with right now. Like we keep talking about it, but it seems like it's not supposed to be that big of a deal. Well, yeah, well don't you know, feels- Andrea, every, every story about a female character has to involve uh, children in yeah. some way. Shape, I or don't, don't, do not don't worry. I, I am we, fully we've, aware. we've got that coming up. Don't yeah. worry. I'm Did- fully aware of that issue. I was going to, yeah, I have, we'll 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 be getting to that in a few, but (laughs) I think the thing that sort of fascinates me is it doesn't to tie in with what you were saying, Andrea, is it doesn't feel often in black widow stories. Like there's any forward momentum with her character because we're so busy looking at the past and the past is consistently weighing down this character. Um, I think there are some characters where, that can work, um, you know, a character uh, like Faith on Buffy. Okay, we have this very complicated and very dark past, but we're trying to move forward. And then the momentum is this sort of redemption thing. It doesn't feel like there's ever any redemption that Natasha is seeking. It feels like it's just sort of continually, uh, you know, it's like Sisyphus. That's what it feels like. I'm sorry, Matthew. I, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I I wanted I wanted to jump on and 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 kind of echo echo that sentiment in there. It feels like Natasha is a character who's defined by her past. That's always been sort of the approach with her, and so because of that, they only explore her past, and they never. It's very rare to find a Black Widow story that is all about her in the present, focusing on just. There's almost always a flashback. There's always something from her past they're calling back to. It's it's just that it feels like they either are constantly trying to redefine her based on her past, or they're trying to figure out who she needs to be in the present, but reconcile her past. Most Black Widow stories feel like a an exercise in cleaning up the character. On and some- this- yeah, and I think this is one of those larger conversations which I've had on this on the Comics Corner before with Kelly, and I think you and I have probably had this conversation as well. Um, and Andrea, as the the newer person to comics, I would love to get your take on this. But it feels like uh, there's such a focus on the character, on the continuity of the stories that have been told that there is no focus on the continuity of the actual character. And so we are sort of continually stuck in this loop, if that makes sense. Yes. So here's a larger comics, comic book question. Andrea, does, does knowing everything about a character mean something to you when you pick up a book to read? Do you care or do you just want a story? Right. Well, I think that was, I think that, is a really good question uh, respect to the ones that we read today because like I didn't know most of the stuff that was the backstory for this character the specific um, Black Widow that we were talking about in this comic um, and yet I was still really excited to read it because I knew you know she's a spy and they that was raised in Russia and she was like taught to be an assassin and then she's moved to the States she's turned over a new leaf she's trying to do good you know and she's a superhero now that works with the Avengers. Like that's basically what I've known about her. Um, And that still drew me in. I was still really excited to read about it. And then there were all these random characters that I wasn't, I wasn't ready for um, that I know. I also know about, but was like, okay, I wasn't, wasn't ready for you to come in, but hello, welcome to the party. Like, 
who is a character that you were like, oh, I want to know more about them now after having read this? Oh, see, I um, I thought it was hysterical that Electra was in it. That like killed me for a little bit. I was totally not prepared for that. And then I was like, okay. Now there's actually, there's a reason that she is in this book, right. which is they're both Daredevil's ex-girlfriend. Yeah, no, no, it's all about a guy. Because it's a a story featuring a woman. So it has to be about children and about a guy that they were trying to sleep with or did sleep with at some point. We can't possibly pass the Bechdel test. It's just not something we can do physically. So did Elektra actually have any point in this story whatsoever? She she was just there for the cameo because they both fought over Daredevil once. No, she Uh, she was... Just there for the cameo. She's not really That's, there for any particular reason. She That's came in to tell Black Widow, like, she was there to get the bounty on her head because they had basically blacklisted her. And then she was like, they fought, and she was like, just kidding. Look out for yourself. We used to be friends. Uh, do your that, thing, girl. And just, like, let her go. It was really weird, but... It's weird. It also took up way too much real estate. That could have been four yeah. pages. You didn't yeah. need, like, almost an entire issue. Was that the entire issue? Almost. Yeah. Uh, it was it was the first quarter of the issue, and it was there so you can watch um, two, two women, women fight. Yeah, that's that's kind of the, yep. the whole point. Yeah, and also um, she could rip her stitches, and so she would be wounded. So right there, you could, go. You know, move into the next piece. She had to be just really, really weak the whole the whole time, or else she couldn't function. So. Well, and it's because it's about a baby. It has to be a wound near her her womb, right? That's, you know, the, the symbolism. Yes, yes. Yeah. So since we we're since we're circling back to this, let's let's sort of let's sort of stop and talk about the drop it. The baby elephant in the room. Um and talk about every single trope that comes in here, which is the sexy spy who seduces in order to get what she wants because she can't, you know, because James Bond doesn't bother to seduce because he can beat someone up because he's a man. Um, And let's talk about the trope of the bad girl gone good. And we can talk about that. Um, And then of course, let's just also add in a, uh, a lost baby, Um, not lost as in misplaced, lost as in past uh, baby. Which, um, yeah, apparently motherhood redeems everyone. Um, side note, I actually believe is reading this morning that the birth rate in the United States is now at its lowest point in 90 years. So aren't we past this trope yet? Why are we no. still here? Yeah, no. I mean, to be fair, this was written in what year, John? You've got uh, the- I want to say 2005. 2008, um, let me just double check that while you guys. Oh no, I lied. Two thousand and eleven. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought it was later. Yeah. I thought it. Was, I thought it was earlier. Yeah, um, it was like Iron Man two. I think was like two thousand ten, because the first one was two thousand eight. Yeah, I don't sorry. know. I've literally only seen about a quarter of the Marvel movies. Sorry. Oh, multiple times. Um, but no, it's it's a trope that persists. It persists now. What's fascinating is looking at the creative team who's utilizing that trope. Yeah. And my question is how much of it is Marjorie Liu and how much of it was Marvel editorial with certain well, dictation? 
And is there any point where the trope was turned on its head so we can look at it in a new way? No. Um, (laughs) I was having an argument with a friend of mine and she's a big book reader. um, And we are, we've been having this argument forever about the fact that we hate it when we're reading a book about like a strong female protagonist and she like whatever, whatever obstacle she has to overcome then you get to the end of the book and the redeeming quality is that she has a child and that's like what brings her ultimately peace in life why why does that have to be the thing that's like your your also just how many shitty mothers are out there okay just because you are a mother doesn't mean you're a good mother doesn't mean that that's instantly something to be like oh well she has a child so she must be Kind of good. There are plenty of shitty mom. Mommy dearest, for fuck's sake. Right. Sorry, censor me, Josh. But um, but it's like, that's not how this works, folks. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah. I find it unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate that you're going to take a very, like a character you're obviously building to be a strong person and a strong um, superhero or spy or whatever they may be, or both in this case. Um, and then you're going to demean all of that work by saying like the one, the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their entire life is that their husband and baby died. Like, that's just so ridiculous to me. I just can't, I can't understand how that's when, uh, when you're, when you're putting the fact that this is a character who's lived for decades and decades, I don't understand how that is single-handedly the worst thing that's ever happened to her. I just don't get it. I It's confusing to me, but. Yeah. Now, I mean, tropes are tropes for a reason. Totally. I don't necessarily mind them being used. I use them a lot. Right. But I feel like at some point you have to sort of consciously as a, a writer, um, you have to sort of consciously go, I know I'm using this, but how can I, how can I look at this in a different way? Um, and I've read a lot of stuff by Marjorie Lou. She's done a ton of Marvel stuff. She did Monstrous, which I absolutely love and think is Monstrous a fantastic is book. Um, I don't know that she, I, I don't know that she hit a home run here. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Well, and, and again, my, my question becomes when you work for hire for a big continuity driven you know, publisher, and you're dealing with a character that has a lot of mainstream value to you at the moment, how many things was she allowed to do and how many things were dictated that she needed to do? There is a question there, which is why I don't want to, and seeing Marjorie Lou's other work, I don't want to say this was all on her because these are not 100% her decisions. You know, she's working for someone who has strict guidelines at times of what you can and what you can't do. I'm positive she didn't want those guest stars to pervade as much. I bet she had no interest in that many guest stars, but Marvel was like, you need this for your sales. You need to have these movie characters in there. So it's it's a hard thing to do sometimes to work with a character in the spotlight for a publisher that is profit-driven, you know, and trying to, and has their needs as well as them as a creator, so... I will say I'm going to I am going to throw props out that none of the male characters stepped in to save her. Absolutely. So, I want to I want to send claps and snaps for that one. 
Um, I would also like to say that none of the ladies were wearing high heels the entire comic, and I was baffled, absolutely gobsmacked, that none of them were wearing high heels. They were all wearing flat shoes the entire time. And the big villain of the story is a deluded, toxically masculine bro who, you know, is trying to violate women and, and you know, violate the natural law. So it's a good, it's, it's a nice, solid, you know, uh, asshole of a villain for the whole thing as far as... The yeah, who's essentially a Neanderthal. Yeah. He's essentially a, a smart Neanderthal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I say smart, I'm using quote marks around that. Um, there are individual moments in this thing that are fantastic. Let's not, we're, no. we started off with what it doesn't work. We started off with the weaknesses. We haven't actually talked about what does work in this whole thing. Um, you know, for me, I love the train scene with her and Lady Bullseye. That is maybe my standout of the whole, uh, series. Her interactions with Rose are fantastic, with the Rose are fantastic all the way through. Um, you know, his journey actually from where he starts to where she leaves him is a really lovely bit of storytelling for that supporting character. So there are yeah. definitely things to like in here. We we are harshing on it so far, but but we should shout out the things that do work. Yes, because you know, as they say when you're teaching, start with the stuff to be worked on and then let's let's, you know, let's shift slightly. We'll take a a slight right turn and a left turn. I don't know. I was saying right, but I was moving to the left. I don't know why. It's, it's your left. And My left. You're your right. Your left. Whatever. Right. We'll take a turn. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and I want to reiterate the stuff that I think works the best in this book is not the fight scenes, not the superhero stuff. It's all of the spy stuff that works really well. And it's the pages where nothing particularly action-packed is happening. Um, the escape from the hospital scene, I absolutely love, where there's this expectation of, um, you know, oh, I, I can't even stand, I'm so helpless, I'm so weak, and then she just takes out three guys in the stairwell. Um, the going to the safe house and, you know, seeing all the weaponry there and sort of this explanation of you have to have somewhere good to go. Um, the, as Matthew said, the, the scene on the, um, on the train, um, I almost want to, um, compare those scenes to, uh, there's a, uh, if you are a literary spy person and you read a lot of literary fiction at all, uh, sort of late sixties, there was a whole lot of, um, James Bondish spy stuff. And then you compare that to Lacare's The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, which is not a particularly action-packed book, but a really, really wonderful book. And I think that's what is more interesting to me. Andrea, were you finding that? Or were you more like what struck you? Yeah. As like, wow, that's great. All the things you guys have said is were really great parts for me too. Um, I really liked um it was more the beginning of the issues where she was doing kind of like this internal monologue exposition um, where she was kind of just doing like talking of giving us kind of the feel for the issue and what was going to happen. Um, I thought those were really cool. And that was a really interesting way for them to tie in her past a little bit like flashbacks in with what was happening and how the 
the case that she was on was obviously really pulling her into her past, which was the whole point. It was very cool to see that those things coming forward and them making that all happen at once. Um, especially for like me, I didn't know what was happening for most of it and I didn't have like a lot of context. So it was really cool to have a lot of um, like pulling the threads together a little bit. By the end of it, I had, I had contextually could pull a lot of it together which was really cool. Um, let me think. There were a lot of parts that I liked about it. I thought it was a really great story. Um, the side characters were all really great. Um, even though I thought like her going off to see the older woman with the baby was really weird. And like, again, just really harping on the, why are there, why are there children in this? But also I thought that her interaction with that woman was very interesting and um, really really stuck to the story and helped to bring that to life a little bit more um and actually helped to like make the dead baby thing not so weird and like totally sticking out from the story um it it still did but it was not yes. nearly as bad it kind of tried to smooth it over a little bit to make it a little bit more cohesive. <laughs> um yeah I'm trying to think. The meat locker wasn't too bad either. I was like, there were some parts of it that were obviously super cringy, but others that was like, this is actually pretty cool too. I haven't, like, I hadn't seen a lot of that before too. It was, yeah, it was a really cool read for sure. Oh, well, that, that meat locker scene just like where she's being interrogated, right? That's the, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's straight from Casino Royale because that was only like a couple years before, I think. And they were like, all right, Bond was naked in a chair being tortured. Let's do that with Natasha now. Right. Well, it's it's the scene from the Avengers, with the exception of in the Avengers, she's wearing a black dress and and yeah. you know hose, yes, uh, pantyhose. Um, I I don't know if the kids still call them that. I yeah. do, but what yeah, they do. But I mean, that's that's essentially what I mean. That's Joss Whedon read this book and was like, oh, you know what? I'll just this is what I'll do. Um, it's essentially what it is, right? Um, I think there's actually some nice commentary in here on paranoia. Um, you know, the way that she sort of, when she, at the very opening of the story, when she's walking down the street and she belts the old woman. Um, and then the idea of, which is, again, Tower of Babel from Justice League, the idea of, you know, how do I collect enough secrets about everybody that I can stop them should something bad happen? Um and uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's some interesting stuff in here on paranoia and how that affects your relationships with people. Um, I also want to say just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not all out to get you. Right, Matthew? I heard that Harvey Danger song a lot growing up. So yes. There you go. Um, then how about you, Matthew? What were your parts that you were like, oh yeah, you know what? That was great. Oh, I, I'm. I mean, I echo for for both of you. The the spy parts worked far more for me than the superhero parts. And you you mentioned Lacare. I just finished reading A Perfect Spy, which is all about diving into a character's backstory and trying to figure out why he turned on his country. Um, and it's three or four different characters trying to dig through their past with him in order to pinpoint the moment. How are they so wrong? So. So going into one's personal history, it is a very spy trope, um, as we've talked about. 
So no, absolutely. The, the spy, the spy aspects hit home far more individual moments, individual scenes certainly hung, hung more for me than the, the kind of overarching plot they were trying to tell here. Um, again, the lady bullseye, um, encounter on the train for me, I did like the, the meat locker scene. I thought there was a lot of really nice moments to that. Um, and anytime the Rose was involved, you know, the, the thing about this book is I came out of it wanting not so much to read the next Natasha story. I wanted to read the next Rose story. That was the, the one, the one great flaw for me in this whole thing was that sometimes the, the supporting characters were more captivating and drew my attention more than Natasha did, which. Yeah, for me, I think um, I, I agree with all of those. Um, I think of course it, did what every superhero movie does, which is end in a big action-y third act, um, which kind of takes away from some of the great stuff and the wonderful character work that came before it. Um, but I, I, I think this is, um, so yes, I, I do wanna just, we did really focus on some of the negatives at the beginning, um, but I do think that this is a story that is definitely worth reading. If you are, um, I'm going to throw some recommendations out there for um, comic book spy readers. Uh, if you've never read Sleeper by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, I would absolutely read that. Um, probably my favorite, uh, Matthew, don't jump in here. We all I know what waiting. I'm going to say, uh, is going to be Queen and Country by Greg Rucka, which I think is uh, pretty close to a perfect spy series. Um I think it's 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 as close as anyone will ever come. And there's very few things that I have to say about that. We wanted to talk about Black Widow, obviously, because, you know, we have the movie coming up. We're all going to, you know, go to theaters or log on to our Disney Plus, wherever, depending on what. Oh, I'm not paying $30 for that. Come on. To watch it at home? No, no, no. I'm just saying we all collectively, everyone who's listening to us, we collectively are going to go to the movies or perhaps we're going to go on to our Disney Plus. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm sure it'll only be 30 bucks for like two weeks and then it'll go down to like five. Um, or it'll flip over to the free. I think it flips over to the free. It, it flips simple. over to the free after 30 days, I think, is there the yeah. current. So, um, so yeah. Um, but I, there are some really wonderful spy stories out there. Um, the thing about both Sleeper and Queen and Country is they are not, uh, they are done by smaller publishers. And so there's a lot more freedom there that the writers have. Uh, Sleeper is Vertigo, which is DC, but there was still a lot more. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't Vertigo? It was Wildstorm. Oh, right, right, right. I forgot. It was Wildstorm uh, and then it was sold to DC um for that so yes thank you i'm so glad you're here to correct me uh, <laughs> I, got you. I got you um but they were smaller publishers and there was a lot more writer freedom so i think there's a lot more of what the writer actually wanted to do in this uh to do in those two series rather than this where yes as matthew has pointed out i think there's a lot more editorial um mandate, mandate. Yeah, let's go with that word. Let's go with that word rather than another word that I was about to use. Um, uh, what, about other, what about other Black Widow stories to read after this? 
Uh, yes, there are a lot of other Black Widow stories to read after this. Um, there is uh, the Black Widow run, which is 13 issues, I believe, by Mark Wade and Chris Samney. Um, again, delves into something in the Black Widow's past, although I think there is a little bit more forward momentum in that. Don't want to say a lot. It's kind of like an iceberg that where it moves forward two feet and then moves back three feet. So, I, well, not in this um, climate but you know, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's a great one. There's one that is um, by uh, Greg Rucka and is that that's not Bill Seikenbich. Um No. I'm gonna look up the artist Matthew. Do you want to recommend uh, a good Black Widow story? Uh well, absolutely. The Wade and Samney. I will. I will recommend that all day. That is maybe the perfect first issue, the best first issue in the history of comics, possibly is that Black Widow run. Um, highest of recommendations. You don't go for the story, even you go for the art. The art is second to none. Um, I would also, if you just want a book that sort of explores her origin, there is Deadly Origin uh, by, written by Paul Cornell. Uh, that was meant to kind of go in and be a primer for any newbie to the Black Widow character. Look, there's a six-issue miniseries. Um, I think it actually came out before this series, though, did. I think it was like... Uh, I think it was after. I'm not after? positive, but I oh, think man. it was after. Um, the artist I was thinking about who worked with Greg Rucka was um, J.G. Hampton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Scott Hampton. Uh, J.G. Okay, Jones right. did the first part of that, which was Devin Grayson. It's Devin Marvel Grayson. Knight's Black Widow, um, which I think is which I think is interesting enough. Um, I'm going to say if you want some history, you can go back and read some of the Daredevil stuff. Um, not wouldn't recommend that for Black Widow as much as I would say. <laughs> um, you know, she's there. That's what I would say for those stories. Um, they are in the seventh. They are did take place in the late 60s, early 70s. So be prepared for late 60s, early 70s. Um, are, you, are you saying that they are of their time, John? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. They are of their time. Um, so as, as we start to, to wrap up our, our Black Widow conversation, um, Andrea, how are you feeling? You think you want to maybe try to explore a little more Black Widow? Did you enjoy this? Did I sort of put you in the right direction? Yeah, I did enjoy it. Um, it was really cool. I actually, um, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know about her backstory that they had incorporated. I actually really love the X-Men, like really, really like the X-Men. I always have. Um, and so Wolverine being in them was a complete shock to me, but I was really excited about the pairing of them because it felt totally right the whole time. So that seems like something I could definitely look into, um, even though it's like the very beginning of their story together. Um, yeah, that was like the funniest part for me was when she's on the operating table, they have her opened up, they're doing active surgery on her. And then, you know, 
Bucky, uh, Iron Man, and Wolverine just burst into the, like, the occupied OR, and, like, Bucky just basically falls to his knees. Why, Natasha, why did this happen to you? It was just, like, the opening to a really bad joke. It was awesome. It was the first issue, and I could not stop laughing. Like, for five <laughs> minutes, I just sat there and read it over and over, because I was like, this cannot be happening right now. Also, just not very sanitary. Like, those, Super. they were clearly not scrubbed in. They were not wearing masks. They're, like... Well, if you had read the backstory, they eight pages of exposition on the back of the first issue, and then you would know that she has a heightened immune system, so she's gonna be okay. But does that still come into patient care? I quality of patient care. I just feel I feel like, and also the fact that she's awake on the operating table while they're doing while they're sewing her up. So badass, so badass of a moment. Too. Totally, but also it's like, hey guys, could you just like put some something in there i'm i'm awake and it hurts a lot thanks so much i've already been stabbed once tonight that'd be so great i wonder if she didn't say anything because she was scared that they would like their hands would slip and just cut her worse or something like that she said she had to be so so still and she's right that yeah they probably would have freaked out and done something wrong that the guy said he had like her liver in his hand while she was waking up so Sure, she was just like, all right, I guess I'll just chill. I don't need to worry him. It's not a big deal, which again is such another, that's such a woman's, like a stereotypical woman's trope is like, I don't need to bother you. Just do your thing. I'll just endure the pain. You just well, there's that, there's that line in there, like, you know, uh, what is it? Oh, you know, something mild is a bleeding stump that, you know, this is just a, a scratch. Which I feel like was a call out to... Monty Python's Holy Grail, right? Which was like I'm assuming, yeah, <laughs> yeah, should be, yeah. A flesh wound is a uh, a, a bleeding stump. This is yeah. uh, just a scratch, just a scratch, just a scratch. Um, and Matthew, now you'd read this before, right? Yeah, I read this uh, several moons ago. Um, it it'd been years since I came back to it, and um. But uh, Andrea, for for your next Black Widow story, I would absolutely recommend the Wade and Samney. I think that would be a, a tremendous uh, next stop for you. Perfect. Uh, and I would actually recommend the Marvel Knights. Uh, it's two stories. It's Devin Grayson and J.G. Jones, and then the Greg Rucka, um and Hampton, uh, Scott Hampton um, story. And that's actually the one that I would recommend because they don't really, neither of them really goes into her past. Um, so those would be the ones that I would recommend. Um, and I won't take it personally if you listen to Matthew's recommendation over mine. I will not take it personally if you (laughs) you take John's over mine. John, it's it's his show. We're on his corner. We're on John's streets right now. So Right. Yeah. We're on his corner. (laughs) We're literally on his corner. Yeah. That's all right. Um, that's all right. Now I feel we should probably make some plans to get together to watch, um, the Black Widow movie, or if that's not possible, we could all rewatch WandaVision together. Happy to do that because I've already done it like three times, but oh, happy to see that show again. We want to talk about using children as a <laughs> as a gaslighting mechanism for your <laughs> protagonist. Ooh, let's talk about WandaVision. <laughs> well, I, did you listen to the WandaVision episode that we did? Oh, I did not know. Okay, did yeah, there's a... <sighs> It's the closest I've ever come to be to losing my temper on air. Yeah. Um, but Andrew, we can get him there. I don't truly get me believe started. it. Don't get we me can, started. We can find a way. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. I feel okay. I just want to wrap this up with with um, a perhaps a a larger question, which is which is something that we should think about before we jump into um, the next episode, because Andrea will be joining us for the next episode as well. Um, But I just want to say. Tropes. Is there a way to actually do something unexpected with them. I think there is. And I think the next books that we're going to talk about do that. So uh, do come back for the next Comics Corner um, where should we ta- should we announce it now yeah. so that people can read before Absolutely. they do if it? People, if people want to read before the next episode, I think that's a great idea. Okay. So our next uh, episode will be... Um, We were going to talk about The Suicide Squad, and yet there's a book called Secret Six by Gail Simone and Nicholas Scott, which I actually think, um, with the exception of some of the John Ostrander stuff, actually does Suicide Squad better than Suicide Squad does. Um, So we're going to be talking about the first seven issues of The Secret Six, uh, Volume 3. It's Gail Simone and Nicholas Scott. Uh, do go to your local comic book store and pick that up, um, as well as Black Widow and the Name of the Rose. Um, I believe they're both, uh, Name of the Rose might be out of print, but uh, Secret Six is still in print. Um, yep. They, they so, had a new printing of it about th- two or three years ago, I think. It's still kicking around. So. Yes. It's also, I feel like there's going to be an omnibus of this at one point, very soon. I'll buy it. Uh, me too. Um, so, <laughs> Yes, read that. Um, reach out to us on our social media, which is Matthew. Uh, at the Cruelest Month on yes. Facebook and on uh, Instagram as well. Uh, you'll see uh, all the cool things uh, that we're doing. Everything for our main channel content um, with uh, Fire in My Heart and uh, The Wonderful Survivors as written by the, uh, the John Petrie himself whose Comics Corner we are on. So check it out. We have over 120 episodes in our archive. So if you want more Comics Corner, if you want to check out new episodes of Heidi and Nora Don't Know Anything, if you want to see uh, April's The Cruelest Months offerings, as well as our superhero podcast uh, offerings for some of these characters that we talk about on the show, it's all waiting for you there on the interwebs. Yes. And if you have any questions or comments about Black Widow, The Name of the Rose, or uh, The Secret Six before that episode airs in four weeks, uh, please do go to our Facebook page and uh, leave a little comment. Um, In the meantime, I just want to say, Andrea, thank you so much for coming. Of course. Thank you again for having me. And if you'd like to send any hate mail for me uh, hating on ScarJo, you can also do that on the uh, the Twitter. That's, That's all you guys. So, where where can they find you? What's your handle on Twitter? I have none. You can just hit up. You can hit us up on the Twitter here. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Josh, yeah, Boris, thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, have a little spy story in your life. Um, we will yep. post on Facebook um, uh, not only this book but also the other ones that we recommended, so you can uh, support your local comic book store. Thank you for joining us on John's Comic Corner. 
have a safe and wonderful and happy Pride um, and July 4th. And uh, yeah, join us next week and join us year round to discover why April really is the cruelest month. Thank you.